far? Okay. Uh, this is maybe a weird way to start a sermon. And I'm going to be real honest with you. I, I, with my job and, and preaching from this pulpit, I'm in a little bit of a predicament here. Um, I guess you could maybe call it a, a precarious situation that I'm in here. And, and I hope as I explain this to you, you can note some of the irony this morning with my situation. Okay? I spend every Sunday preaching my heart out. I, I give it all I've got. All that I've got. I feel like if I don't give 110% every Sunday, then I feel like God's going to call me to the carpet because He's worthy of everything that I've got. So I give all that I've got. I preach my heart out. I, I do my best to seek the Lord, to pray, to get on my face and ask Him for direction. And I'll tell you, it's a little difficult to proceed in faith many times on finding topics to preach on because many times God does not say, my son, turn to this chapter, to this verse, and preach on that. You don't hear that. Most of the time, no, it's, it's more proceeding in faith. And it's very difficult and then I, I preach, I, I, I seek Him, and then I go to the Word of God and I find a command or something that He says and I preach it to you. All the commandments of God. Here's the, here's the irony, okay? The, the ironic thing is that I preach every week from this Bible, yet I myself can't obey all the things that God commands. I, the preacher can't obey all the teachings of Jesus. Do you, do you see the irony in that? I spend my life preaching and teaching the commandments of Christ, the commands of God, and I can't obey them all myself even. It's, it's a bit of an odd situation to come up here and preach my heart out, but yet I can't even do it myself. Kind of ironic, isn't it? I go out and I spend all my energy preaching and teaching pouring over the Word of God and I cannot completely perform all that which I teach and preach. The Bible says love your neighbor. The Bible says love your spouse. Do good to those that despitefully use you. The Bible says be selfless. The Bible says be dead to the world. And over time I preach all them things to you. But I find myself many a times in violation of those very things that I preach. Puts me in a bit of an ironic situation. You know, I've been doing a little bit of uh, pre-marriage counseling with a younger couple that's going to be getting married soon. And during these sessions that we've had, I find that I am in violation of some of the principles that the Bible teaches about marriage. Here I am teaching them and pouring it into these younger people and I find I can't even obey some of this stuff. At one point, we, we looked in Corinthians where the Bible teaches about what love is. And it says that love is selfless, does not puff itself up. It says that love does not seek its own. And in my mind, in my, my mouth, I'm teaching these things. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, yikes, yesterday I completely bulldozed over my wife. And my love was completely selfish and self-seeking. It's, it's weird. I've told you I've had a hard time embracing my job title because I preach this perfect gospel from a perfect, infallible book of a perfect, infallible God. But yet here I am, this fallible, 
fallen, broken man. It's just a weird situation. I, I want to obey. I do. The desire is there. I love the Lord with all of my heart. I mean that. I desire to be a perfect Christian. I do. I wish I could completely and perfectly obey all the commands in the Bible. I do. The desire is there. It's not a lack of desire. In my mind, sometimes in my mind, I'm like John the Baptist. In my imagination, I'm like the Apostle Paul, defender of the faith. If I'm not going to take any junk from this world. I'm not afraid of what the world can do to me. I'm bold as a lion. If any Pharisees or Sadducees come my way, I'm going to let them have it. In my mind. But in reality, in reality, what really happens in my life, I can't even treat my wife the way the Bible commands to treat the, the, the man should treat his wife. In reality, I'm susceptible to being grumpy. In reality, I found that I cannot control my tongue. That it slips up and makes mistakes. And I wish I could take words and put them back. But once you let them out, they're out. There are days when this preacher who stands before you now, there are days when my behavior is unacceptable. There are days when my attitude is unacceptable. Many times I have been ungrateful in my life for the things that God has done and given me. Many times we covet and look at things, people, the stuff better than us, bigger homes than us, bigger cars, better cars and finances than us. Many times I've been unthankful. Over the years, I've noticed that I, like most of us men, am susceptible to having a bit of an ego at times. Us men, we don't like when our ego is damaged. Now, all of these things that I just mentioned are not good. To have an unacceptable attitude, unacceptable behavior, to be ungrateful and unthankful, egotistical, those are all bad things. I'm supposed to be doing good things. I preach them and teach them every Sunday. Why then do I find that I'm not doing all of them? And what I'm saying is, many times my flesh overcomes my spirit. The list goes on and on of the things that I mess up and make a mess of. It goes on and on. But being honest, my spirit loves God. It loves God. But I don't think my flesh feels the same way it does. My spirit does about God. I think that my flesh is it's like indifferent towards God. If you pray, you pray. If you don't, you don't. If you make some time for devotion, you do. If you don't, you don't. I'd rather relax, I'd rather chill out, rather turn on a TV show. That's how my flesh is. But my spirit said, no, pray, seek Him, spend some time alone. Romans chapter 7, verse 18 says this. It says, for I know that in me. Listen to these scriptures now. This is the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans he says, for I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I don't do. But the evil which I would not, that I do. D do you see here that it's the same way that I feel, Apostle Paul? 
It's there. It's inside of me to do good, to do these good things, to do good all the time, think good all the time. But when I go to perform it, I can't. I do bad things instead. The Apostle Paul is saying that he's, he's willing to do nothing but good. The drive is there to do nothing but good, but he can't find it within himself to perform all the commands of God. He's saying, I want to, I desire to, but I can't. That's not what reality shows. I can't. His, he desires to do good things, but struggles with actually doing them. See, sometimes there's a big difference of how uh, uh, our Christianity, how much of a Christian we are in our mind and how much of a Christian we are in reality. A big difference between the two. And the Apostle Paul is talking about that here. He's saying that he wants to do good, but he keeps doing bad. Out of all the Scriptures, let me be honest with you this morning, I, I do look at the Scriptures, I have my favorites, I have my life verse, I have certain things I'll look back over and over again. But out of all the Scriptures in the Bible, I find some of these passages in Romans to be the most relatable to me. I desire to do good, but I can't do them all. I, I keep doing bad. I just relate to them so much. Do, do you see the irony in all that? Do you see it? The, the irony in, in preaching and teaching the, the pure commands of God and can't even obey them all myself. Bit of a weird situation. This preacher standing before you can't do all the things he tells you that the Bible says to do. I can't. I try, but I can't. You know, you, you could say, that's ironic. You could even say maybe it's slightly hypocritical. But there is still a certain truth to it, isn't there? There's a truth to what we're talking about this morning. You happen to notice the part in the Scripture we just read that the Apostle Paul says that in my flesh, in me, dwells no good thing. Did you happen to notice that inside of him dwells no good thing? These are so relatable to me. I think it was last week I, I mentioned to you the three different categories of people. The first category is the people that don't care, blinded by the enemy. They don't care about their eternal soul. The second group of people are the people that do care about their eternal soul, but they spend their life convincing everyone they're good, they're okay, they're going to go to heaven, everything is all right. And then there's the third group of people. They care about their eternal soul, but they know they're not good. They know that what the Apostle Paul has said, true, said is true. There is no good inside of me. I want to do good. I desire to do good. I believe in Christ. I believe in His death, burial, and resurrection. But when I go to do good, I do evil instead. There dwells no good thing inside of me. To me, that's so relatable. I read it. I don't need a commentary for this verse. I know exactly what it means. Because there's a struggle inside of each and every one of us. Romans chapter 7, verse 20 says this. And Paul is going to go on. And he expounds even more so. He says, now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. The next verse, he, the Apostle Paul comes to a conclusion. And he says, I find then a law that when I would do good, 
evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. The the Apostle Paul is vividly describing the battle that rages within each and every person in here. The battle of good versus evil. There is a big struggle in every single one of us. There's a battle that rages in every believer. It is the battle of the flesh versus the spirit. We love the Lord. I believe many of us here at New Hope love the Lord. I'd hope that all of us love God. We love His law. I love His scriptures. I pour over the scriptures. I love the Bible. Soon I hope to be able to do a sermon. I've been waiting to do it for a long time, but maybe waiting on these new projectors, but I'd like to do a sermon on how we got this King James Bible. Because I love the Bible. I love the story of the Bible. I love what the Bible has to say. The words of God, they are my inspiration. They keep me going. The the Word is, is compelling to me. It compels me. It drives me. I would even say that God consumes me. My thoughts and my desires. But I find that my flesh does not agree with all that. My flesh kind of says, eh, yeah, God's good, He's alright. But taking a nap on the couch is better. Now if, go back to that Romans chapter 7 verse 21, it says, I find then a law, a law, He describes it as that, when I would do good, Evil is present with me. Church, my my inner man loves Jesus. My spirit, it loves Jesus. My heart loves Jesus. It does. But I don't think my flesh loves Jesus all that much. My flesh seeks its own. My flesh seeks to satisfy itself. And and then therein lies the struggle. Do, Do you see the struggle? My spirit yearns to serve God, but my flesh says, nah, we'll get it another day. Tomorrow's a better day. And it, and it creates this inner struggle inside of us. The Apostle Paul, I mentioned earlier, he describes it as a law. He says, I find then a law. He says there's a law inside of us that inhibits us from performing all the commands of God. There is a power inside of us that repels godliness. There is a force inside of each and every one of us believers that buffets the things of God. It prevents us from completely serving God all of this time. What is this powerful force? What, What is this law that the Apostle Paul speaks of? What is this entity inside of each and every one of us that resists the goodness of God? It's in each and every one of us and do not for a moment try to convince me that it's not there. Have you ever had a person that maybe you work with or even maybe, goodness forbid, you go to church with or whatever and they try to convince you how good they are? My marriage is perfect, never have any trouble with my kids, never had any trouble with my coworkers, never had any issues, everything is all right. When I hear people talk like that, I'm like, this person's an axe murderer. (laughs) Because we know that's not the truth. Remember that if you try to tell me how good you are someday. 
That's what I'll be thinking about you. Who have you killed? Where's the body? (laughs) There's this tremendous, powerful force the Apostle Paul calls a law. He says, I look within myself and I see a law. It's a law. Brothers and sisters, this law, boiled down, is very simply, it's your flesh. It is your flesh. It wars against the things of God. It says no, no, no to the things of God. To all good things and wholesome things. It says eh, eh. It's your flesh. It is your carnal nature that you are wrapped in. It does not want to serve God. It does not want to come under subjection to anybody, let alone God or the Word of God or any preacher's words or pastor's words. Uh Uh-uh. It only wants to serve itself. No matter how Christian you claim to be, you are housed in sinful flesh. No matter how holy you claim to be, you are wrapped in carnality, in fleshliness. You're wrapped in it, and you've got to deal with it, and that struggles in you whether you want to admit it or not. It's there. Oh yes, even you, even this preacher that stands before you. As much as I love the Word, as much as I love preaching the Word, I'm wrapped in carnality. If you watch me any with a set of binoculars, you're going to see me make a mistake. You're going to see me fail. Why? thought you loved the Word. It's because I have flesh. I wish it weren't so, but it's the truth. 1 John 1.8 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Skip down to verse 10 says, If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. The Apostle Paul just got done telling us, in my flesh dwells no good thing. Do you see the message of the Bible? It's trying to tell us, hey, your flesh is no good. The Bible's trying to tell us, hey, there's sin inside. Don't try for a moment to come and say, I'm sinless, nothing wrong with me here, nothing to see. The Bible says you are sinful. When you are in your flesh, you are sinful. No matter how long you've been saved, no matter how spiritual you claim to be, no matter how many verses you have memorized, you're wrapped in carnality and that battle rages inside of you. It's the age-old battle of good versus evil, carnality versus spirit, and it rages in every one of us. No matter how much biblical wisdom you claim to possess, there is still sin found in you. There is. As a matter of fact, I have found in my life that the the closer I step to God, the more wickedness I see in me. You know, I I thought like if you get real close to God, hey, you start, everything is good, you know. But the closer I get to His light, the more of these little blemishes and tarnishes are brought to light. I didn't give this scripture to the booth, and you, you can just listen, you don't have to turn there, but... Jesus spoke of this a little bit when he told a a parable. And listen to this. Jesus says, two men went up to pray in the temple. The one was a Pharisee and the other was a publican. We'll stop there for a second. Did any of you get to watch any of The Chosen? Fantastic series. If you got to watch The Chosen, then you would have seen Matthew. Matthew was a publican. 
a publican was viewed by the Jewish people as a traitor. If you saw the chosen, you saw all the Jews, they would spit on Matthew, they would kick him because they viewed him as a traitor. He, he was educated, he knew mathematics, and he let the Roman Empire use him as a tax collector. So all the Jews, they turned on all these publicans. And Matthew was one of them. Now let's start over again. Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee, a religious man, and the other a publican, one of those traitors to the Jews. The Pharisee stood and prayed, thus within himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican here. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. Do you see the the, the difference there? One man saying, I'm not so bad. Other people extort. I'm not an extorter. I'm not a murderer. I'm not a drunk. I'm not a drug dealer. Those people are. Those are the bad people. Jesus says, the man, the the publican, viewed as a traitor to all the Jews, couldn't even look up to heaven. He was such a sinful person. Couldn't even bring himself to look up to God. He smotes on his breast and all he can yell out is, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that's the man that's justified. Not the other man who claims to be all good, who says there ain't nothing wrong with me. Maybe, maybe this is why Paul gets frustrated with himself. This is why the struggle between good and evil found within the Apostle Paul, it's apparent because he finally exclaims in Romans 7.24, he, he finally boils over and says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He's frustrated with himself because he's saying, Man, my heart loves the Lord. My heart loves Jesus. My heart loves the commandments of the Word. My heart loves the law. But I keep doing evil things. I can't obey them all. And he's frustrated and says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Have you ever felt that way, church? I have. I feel that way many times. Frustrated with my behavior. Frustrated with my deeds. My actions. The things that I think and say. The Apostle Paul's frustrated because he sees his inner man which desires godliness and goodness. It loves the law of God, but his intentions don't match his reality. He desires to do those good deeds. He intends to perform godliness, but that's not what he actually does. In reality, the Apostle Paul is telling us he still fails. And falls flat on his face. He can't perform all the commands of Jesus. He can't can't perfectly obey all the commands of God. Brothers and sisters, as long as you are housed in a fleshly body, you're going to struggle with sinfulness. You are going to struggle. It is going to be a battle. I was talking with someone a week or two ago that's been saved a very long time. And they revealed to me they still battle with very basic things even. You're going to have that struggle within you. You're going to wake up every day and it's a choice between good and evil. 
the flesh that you are housed in is going to try to suppress the godliness inside of you. You'll always wrestle with your flesh. Always, always, always until God takes you home. You'll battle with your flesh. We are a very fleshly people. You understand that? We're very, very fleshly. Sin comes so naturally to us. When, when someone cuts you off when you're driving, I have never consciously thought, I'm going to sin here. How shall I go about this? Should I wind down my window and shout, you stupid idiot, you can't see me? Or should I tailgate this individual? Or should I pass them back? What, what should I do in this situation? No, when you're cut off, it's, it's an instant. Hey, you idiot, what's wrong? You can't see me? Oh, and then you're like, I shouldn't have done that. I'm not supposed to. Oh, That's why the Apostle Paul was saying, oh, wretched man that I am. But what doesn't come easy for us is when we get cut off driving. It's not very natural for us to say, God bless you. I hope you speedily get to where you're going and you have a wonderful day. Now, let me get to the point of why I bring all this stuff. Yes, I'm fleshly. Yes, there's a battle inside of each and every one of us. But this fleshliness and admitting that we are fleshly, it carries certain implications and and the struggle inside of us, it proves certain things. It proves this, and hear me now, it proves that at no time ever, 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 did I say ever and long enough? At no time ever will you be able to live a Christian life apart from the Savior, Jesus Christ. There is no Christian life apart from from a daily walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. You do not reach a point where you're like, hey, Jesus, take a break today. I got it. I'll handle this today. There is no such thing as a Christian life apart from a daily walk with Christ. You have to cultivate that relationship with the Lord Jesus all the time for the rest of your life. You've got to cultivate it and walk closely with Him and be attached to the true vine. There is no putting your walk with God on cruise control There is no level of spirituality you reach where you no longer make mistakes. Does not exist where you are above certain matters. There is no spiritual plateau you can reach that you don't need Jesus as much. Those people need Him a whole lot, but not me. I'm more refined. I've been doing this thing a while. That is not true. That is a fallacy. You need Him desperately, just like that person needs Him desperately. How often? On a daily basis. Why? Because we're fleshly people. You need Jesus. Your flesh is evil and does not want to submit God. Does not matter how long you've been saved. Any one of us is capable of anything at any time. Doesn't matter if you've been saved five minutes or 50 years. You're capable of sin in an instant just like that. Romans chapter 8 verse 5 says this. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Listen, verse 6 says, For to be carnally minded, really it's saying to be fleshly, is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind, listen now, is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. 
What the Apostle Paul is saying here is this flesh does not want to serve God. Does not want to come underneath the subjection of His laws or commandments. No way. The flesh wants to seek its own and that's it. There is no good in the flesh. All this stuff, all these scriptures we've been reading, everything I've been preaching this morning, do you know what it means? And I hate to admit this. It's even kind of embarrassing But the sad reality is, I am a weak and needy person before the eyes of God. I am a weak and needy person. My flesh, it's just too weak. I can't do all the things that I should do. I can't perform the way that I wish I could. I can't. I'm too weak. I'm too needy. I'm too bankrupt. No matter how hard we try, we will never get it right. Now, if we stop there, that would kind of be a pretty discouraging sermon, wouldn't it? But we won't stop there. And thank goodness, the Bible doesn't stop there. The message of the Bible doesn't stop there. 2 Corinthians 12.9 says this. This is God talking to Paul via the epistle to the Corinthians The Lord says, my grace is sufficient for thee. Did you hear that? My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. This is Apostle Paul now. That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, Apostle Paul says, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Do you understand that the reality is the Apostle Paul was saying, it ain't ever been about you. It never was about you. You've always been weak. You've always been needy. Always. Before you have been saved and even after you're saved, you're still weak and needy. Never was about you. The Apostle Paul was saying, Once you realize that you are weak, once you realize and you start smoting your breast saying, God, be merciful to a sinner like me. I can't do all these things that you say to do. Once you realize you are the weak one, you are the needy one, then God can become strong in your life through you. It's the realization that I'm weak. I'm needy. It's the realization Christianity is the realization that we're broke. We're broken. Church family, we serve a God that is rich in mercy. We serve a God that loves us on a level that we cannot comprehend. We serve, we serve a God that does not have a quick temper. If your view of God is this great spiritual being who's all-knowing and possesses all wisdom of the ages, who is timeless and spaceless, matterless, and he has this big billy club in his hand ready to club you the minute you mess up. That's not the, the God of the Bible that I read about. You have the wrong image of God. We serve a God that does not destroy us when we make a mess. We serve a God that knows we're weak. He knows we're fleshly. He knows we're susceptible to all these things. Yet in that, He extends His mercy to us. 
While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. In a state of unregenerate ungodliness, Jesus reaches down into the mire to a weak and needy race of human beings and and offers to pull us up out of there while we're yet sinners, while we're unregenerate. If I can invite the band to make their way back, as we close, what does the Bible say about God's feelings towards a weak and needy people? What, what are his thoughts towards us and feelings towards us? Knowing that we're weak, knowing that we need mercy, knowing that we're sinful. I find it captured best in the 103rd Psalms. Psalms 103 verse 1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Listen, this this is how God feels about us. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all thy diseases, who redeems thy life from destruction, who crowns thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. That This is His attitude towards a weak and needy people. Listen, we'll skip down to verse 8. It says, The Lord is merciful and gracious. The Lord is slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will He keep His anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Listen, this is God's feelings towards us. For as the heaven is higher than the earth, so great is His mercy towards them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. Like a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pities them that fears Him. This is God's feelings towards us. very next verse says, For He knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. For as man, His days are as grass. As the flower of the field, so He flourishes. For the wind passes over and is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear Him, and His righteousness unto children's children. Yes, we are weak people. No, we can't obey everything in the Scriptures. No, I can't. No, you can't. Yes, a battle rages inside of us of good versus evil. Yes, we are a fleshly people. Yes, we are weak and needy. But we serve a God who knows that. He knows our estate. He knows we're clothed in this fleshliness. Yet He extends His mercy to us. Yet the Bible says He'll he'll take your sins and separate them as far as the east is from the west. Can anyone say hallelujah to that this morning? Can anyone say amen to that this morning? Listen, if you have sincerely asked Christ to be the Lord and Savior of your life, then He has removed your sins as far as the east is from the west. I remember growing up many times hearing our, our brother Bruce preach And he always used to say every time he read that scripture that the Bible doesn't say north and south because the north and south, they actually have poles, a point of origin. But the east and west don't. There's no, it it wraps around to infinity. And that's what the Bible says. He's removed your sins as far as the east is from the west. He has taken them from you. My sins 
my mistakes, when I fail, when I slip up, which happens all the time, they're covered under the blood of Jesus. My weakness is covered under the blood of Jesus. When I fail Him, His grace is sufficient for me. He is plenteous in mercy. He knows we're weak. He knows we're but dust. Here today, gone tomorrow. He knows we can't perform our way into heaven. We're never going to get into heaven based on our own merit. We never were. Never ever were. He knows that. That's why we're covered under the blood of Jesus. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. The key to it all is recognizing yourself as being weak this morning. Look, I find strength in all this this morning. I find great strength in all this because the Christian walk can be frustrating, can it? All these desires to do good, these desires inside of me, like I said in my mind, man, I want to be like John the Baptist. Man, if they come to kill me, I want to just shout things out as bold as a lion and go out swinging and kicking. But my flesh is so weak and fearful. But I find strength in all this because we serve a merciful God. Church, if you've made a mess out of something lately, which I'm sure many of us have, if you've said something you shouldn't have said, treated your spouse like you shouldn't have, the Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, if you mess up, be quick to repent. Repent, be genuine about it, and keep pushing forward. Listen, this morning, realize that you are weak and you need Jesus every single day. Can we please stand as we worship? These altars are always open. Please lead us in worship time. grace when the heart is under fire another way when the walls are closing in when I look at the space between where I used to be and this reckoning I know I will never be was another in the fire standing next to me was another in the waters holding back the seeds should I ever need reminding of how I've been set free is across the banks of burden where another died for me is another in the fire All my dead left for dead beneath the waters I'm no longer a slave to my sin I fall in the space between what remains of me and this reckoning. 
And this reckoning I know I don't bow to the things of this world And I know I will never be alone In another in the fire Standing next to me Be another in the waters Holding back the study tonight. We're going to finish up Revelations chapter 12. Uh, Chase, if you can please make your way up and grab the microphone and close us in prayer.
Thank you. Thank you. 